Luke chapter 16, and we will read verses 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and, and, and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment." But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, then they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Dear Lord, open our hearts, open your word, and may the two meet each other. And may your word shine into our hearts by your Holy Spirit so that we become like like stained glass windows reflecting the beauty of your word in our deeds towards others. We pray this all in Christ's name, amen. Jesus just keeps talking about money. Maybe you're kind of tired of it. You say, oh, come on, you know. Three lessons, at least in in chapter 16 of Luke alone, you go back and Jesus has talked about money before. I get the picture, Jesus. You care about my money. You care about how I spend it. I think Jesus keeps pressing in on this because in every age, there is a deep temptation for a heart to become hardened and calcified by worldly wealth. How true is that in our own age where, you know, we hear this, the scripture speak of the poor. We hear scripture speak of the rich and, and it seems that more and more and more, so many of us, fall into a category that by the standards in Jesus' day, we are incredibly wealthy. Even some of the poorest among us have so much more than than what we saw 
with Lazarus in this text. And yet, there still are the rich, there still are the poor, and the words of Jesus still come to us and press upon our hearts a deep need, an urgent call, a call for compassion. Jesus is teaching us about how to use our money as a channel for God's kingdom and a blessing to others. And you'll remember what happened back in verses one through 13. Jesus gave us these bold words, this call to faithfulness, this call to steward our money wisely and to channel it for God's glory. And then right away, we hear the Pharisees scoffing and laughing from the sideline. Jesus calls them out for what they are. They are lovers of money. In our text this morning, Jesus goes a step further. He not only identifies them as lovers of money, but now he gives them a parable. He gives them a picture that reinforces everything he's just said. It calls us to compassion that tells us don't let wealth harden your heart. Don't let your love of money blind you from love of neighbor. Rather, overflow with that kind of love for God's law, which is still binding upon your heart. So let's look at this parable. It is an incredibly famous parable. You know, there are so many uh, portraits of this throughout, you know, especially during the time of the Renaissance, you'll see these different you know, artistic takes on what this looked like. But this is a parable. And the first thing we see just right off the bat is two characters, two characters. The lavish rich man and the pitiful poor man. Now look at this rich man. He is rich. Boy, is this guy rich. The, the picture here is something extravagant, like something out of um, you know, MTV Cribs or I don't know, but if... I, I, I know this show. I didn't personally watch it, but it's from the 80s called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And this rich man really falls into those categories. He is the height of self-indulgence. He is filthy rich, you could say. He dresses like a king. He prances around in, uh, in and out of his gate in this purple robe and Anyone in this day who would hear of a purple robe would know what Jesus is talking about because a purple robe was, was so expensive. To get that purple dye, you had to get thousands of murex shells out of the sea and then you had to crack them open. You had to take the murex uh, urchin or whatever it is and he squeezed thousands of these things and out comes this purple dye. And then you make this robe. It cost so much money. So it was even called in the day, the royal purple. This man dresses like a king. And he even has this underwear that's been imported from Egypt. This fine linen underwear that, he, that Luke points out that he walks around in. So he dresses like, like royalty, but he feasts like royalty too. Every day, another sumptuous feast. Every day, another delicious meal for his taste buds. He can invite anyone he wants. All his friends, of course, want to come 
and be part of this. And, and so he sits back, ah, the good life. You can almost hear, you know, that song from Fiddler on the Roof. If I were a rich man, he says, and I am, and I am. Meanwhile, another man peers through his gate. He's got this gated community and this beautiful gate he's, he's set up. He peers into the rich man's mansion. He is a poor beggar who lies against the gate like a permanent fixture on this rich man's landscape. He's sick and he's naked. Instead of a robe, this man wears disgusting, oozing sores. He's hungry. If only he could get his hands on on maybe like an apple core that's been tossed from the rich man's table. But, but whenever, he, whenever he tries to get to it, the dogs from the streets come rushing in. And they get to that stuff first. They eat it up. And, and they're his only companions. But, you know, what, what do they do? They, they, they lick his oozing sores. And you think, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't, I don't know. On the one hand, maybe relief from, from the, the painful sores. But on the other hand, what a torment to have dogs constantly running up to your broken body. But there's one thing that this suffering man has that the rich man doesn't. What is it? He's got a name. He's got a name. His name is Lazarus. And it means, my God is my help. Lazarus is a shortened form of Eleazar. Eli, my God. Azer is my, my help. And so, so this man bears this name and you can imagine what people would say as they passed him by in the streets. Oh, there is Eleazar. There's God is my help. God sure helped him. Look at this man in the streets. But names are important in the Bible because they tell us something about this man. They tell us that he is a man of faith. He lifts up his eyes to heaven and repeats that name like a quiet prayer. You are my help, God. You are my help. This isn't just haphazard that he's given this name. It's, 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 a, it's a, a symbol to us that this man is the suffering faithful. So we see this great divide between the rich man and Lazarus, between the self-indulgent and the suffering. And it's a divide that's set up right at the rich man's gate right at the very footstool of his house. One man looks up to heaven, pleading for help. The other man looks down at his possessions. One man cries out for mercy, for help. The other man only helps himself. I'm guessing at this part in the story, in the parable, that the religious leaders who were hearing this started to get kind of antsy. They started to feel uncomfortable. Because just moments ago, they were laughing at Jesus when he called them to make friends for eternity with their possessions. Just a moment ago, they were laughing at him when Jesus called them to radical stewardship with their money. But now, suddenly here's a man who rejects everything that Jesus has called them to. Here's a man who takes his wealth and does with it whatever he wants, 
And it's so obviously uncomfortable. He doesn't make friends for eternity. The only, the, 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 the friend that he could share his wealth with, he passes by every single day at the gate. Here's a man who has a world at his fingertips and he keeps it for himself. Maybe you start to squirm a bit too when you hear about this rich man. Especially when we think of all the opportunities that we have to meet Lazarus at our gate. Maybe we start to get uncomfortable when Jesus starts to talk about riches, when we have so much, when, when we're... When we are wealthy... But things get even more comfortable when we see not only the two characters in this story, but but then the two consequences. We need to be careful because when we look at these consequences, when we turn to see the consequences that have uh, eternal reverberations, echoes into the afterlife, we need to remember that this is a parable. When we hear Jesus talking about Abraham's bosom. And when we hear him talking about Hades, the first thing that we're tempted to do, I think, is say, oh, good. Finally, Jesus is filling in more of this picture of heaven and hell. Now we get to to, uh, go even further with our doctrine, but we need to be careful. I just really quick want to give this warning because this is a parable. And so we shouldn't take all the details here and form this complicated doctrine of heaven and hell. But make no mistake about this. The picture here is a shadow of something real. And if this is a shadow of the torment and the blessedness to come, then how much more so is the reality? Heaven exists. Hell exists. We don't have to look at this parable to conclude that. It's all over the Bible but it's here too in parable form. And we hear that hell, just as heaven is as this place of blessedness in paradise, hell is a place of sure torment. And the money lovers living their best life now are in for a shocking reversal. That's where we see the consequences in this parable. Lazarus dies. The pitiful poor dies. And there's no notable burial. There's no impressive obituary. Instead, it doesn't even, doesn't even talk about a burial. It says he died. But the moment he breathes his last breath, he enters into a world of unspeakable blessing. Celebration erupts. Angels from God greet him. They carry him to a feast. And there we see the poor beggar taking his place at the honored seat, sitting next to the the, the patriarch of Israel, Abraham himself. Now, what, what a reversal, right? The poor beggar feasting at the honored supper. The rich man dies. And what a contrast we see instant torment. For the first time in his existence, he is in desperate, desperate need, a need that money can't fix because 
His money's gone. And there he is in all of his torment begging, Father Abraham, I'm one of your relatives. I'm a child of Israel. Help me. But there's no relief. You see, the the divide has deepened. He started with this gate separating the two. Well, now that gate has formed into a massive chasm. And part of the torment for this man is that he peers across the chasm and he can see the feast. Oh, if he could have purchased that feast, he would have. He would have invited Abraham. He would have, he would have thrown this feast, but it's, it's a feast that's greater than even he could have thrown with all his money. But he can't be there. Why are these men experiencing these consequences? Why why is Lazarus honored? Why does the rich man suffer God's judgment? And we need to hear right away, we need to understand, it is not because of their tax bracket. It is not because of their bank account. You think, okay, well, really? Yes, really, because... If, if that were the case, if these men were experiencing these consequences in eternity because they are rich and simply because they are poor, then a key name wouldn't be mentioned here in paradise. And that's the name of Abraham. As one commentator says, Abraham is the daddy warbucks of the Old Testament. He has money. He has riches. He has wealth. Just look at Genesis 24, 34, and you'll hear of everything he has. Abraham's probably richer than the rich man. And yet, he is the blessed rich because he stewarded his money to the glory of his God. There's another reason why there's just not this one-for-one correspondence between the, 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 the tax brackets of these people and, their consequ- and the consequences of their lives in eternity, it's because also we hear throughout Scripture that there are dis- different reasons for poverty. Some are poor in suffering because of their own laziness. Some are poor in suffering because of their own neglect for what God has put in front of them. But this is not what this text is talking about. Why is Lazarus blessed in eternity? He is blessed because he is the humble poor, the needy who looked beyond what he could obtain in this, in this life. And he looked to the next with, with, with that promise on his, in his very name, my God helps, my God helps me. Why is the rich man under God's judgment. The problem isn't that he's rich. The problem is that he's just rich. That's all there is to him. You notice that, how is he described? He has no name. He is just the rich man. His wealth, his money, his possessions, they all define him. So that when the needy is before him, he loves his stuff so much that he wouldn't give it up. 
so that when his God calls him to service and places a needy and poor person right in front of him, he does that thing that we sometimes do. We come up with excuses. We pass by. We ignore. We become indifferent. See, the deepest problem with this man is not his riches, it is his heart. See, the greatest divide in this text isn't the gate, it isn't the chasm, it is the giant rift between God's compassion, his call for the needy, and this rich man's hard-hearted indifference, his clinging to his wealth. That's what Jesus has been talking about throughout chapter 16. So, see this dramatic reversal, a reversal that we we heard about back in Luke chapter 6. Blessed are the poor, for you will inherit the kingdom. But then woe to the rich, for you have had your fill. When Riches, when wealth, when possessions, when money are all that define you. On the other side is this judgment. And so we see these two characters. We hear these two drastic consequences. And then we hear these two cries from the grave. Listen to the cry in verse 24. It's a cry that says, have mercy on me. It is the rich man crying out to Abraham. What does he say? Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and to cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. First of all, you can see what he thinks about Lazarus, right? Still, he is indifferent towards this man. Still, he sees him as a lowly servant. He can just boss around. Hey, have Lazarus come over and help me. I'm, I'm in pain. Abraham, look at his answer. Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this between us, there's a chasm that God has fixed. You can't cross it. Hear this first cry from the grave, the cry of the rich man and the warning of Lazarus because it comes to you today and says, there is no rewind button in eternity. Don't you wish sometimes that you had a, a, a you know, remote control button that you could just press rewind to go back and change everything? You can't do that. You can't do that once you've passed into death. Because as we see here, as we're told here, there is a chasm that has been fixed. But there's a second cry that comes from the grave. It's a cry from the rich man in verse 27. Go warn my brothers. If you can't help me, if you can't solve my problem, then go warn my brothers. Tell them. So listen to what Abraham says. 
Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Isn't this what we just heard Jesus telling the Pharisees right before this passage? He said, listen to the law. You call yourself keepers of the law. Well, listen to the very thing it says as it still continues to bind you to God's commandments, to keep God's commandments. Amos 5, we hear this in God's law. I hate, I despise your feast, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. But let justice roll down like waters, in righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Listen to Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? That's the heartbeat of God's law. Open hands towards those who really need it. That's what we heard about in Deuteronomy this morning. Deuteronomy 15. See, the rich man, he has it all wrong. He says, it almost sounds like he's coming up with an excuse for himself, doesn't it? Well, if I just had someone come to me from the grave, if Lazarus had visited me while I was alive, I would have changed everything. So why don't you go do that for my brother, brothers? Then they'll start living right. He says, if only someone came from the dead, someone was resurrected, then I would change course then my brothers would change their course. But, but Abraham says, no. Because the chasm, the deepest chasm of this text, again, is not between those suffering in hell and those suffering in heaven. The deepest chasm is, is in our hearts. The chasm that exists between those who love God's law and who hear the words of Moses, and who hear the words of the prophets as they cry out in God's word for justice. And those who let the the love of wealth, who let the love of money harden themselves to the pain and the poverty around them. And so Abraham says, no, it would not do a thing. They have everything they need. Well, how about us? How about you? This text comes to us like a warning this morning, like a warning from the grave. You hear the cry of the rich man, his two pleas. And that cry should wake you up, friends, to the love of wealth that can harden your heart. You have Moses and the prophets. You have those words that come to you with God's very mercy, showing forth his character, calling you to move towards people in need. But you have more than that. Because get this, this is the great irony of this text. What what Abraham denied to the rich man and his brothers, he gives to you. You have 
a voice coming from the grave. And you have a man resurrected from the dead, Jesus Christ, who calls you to keep his commandments, who calls you to use your wealth wisely. And so this warning comes to you and calls you to repent. Friends, repent of any self-indulgence that you harbor in your hearts. And that means you need not to only repent of the ways that you, you use your money and your possessions recklessly, but also the ways that you use your possessions in ways that, that harbor indifference. What are the ways you use your money that just passes by Lazarus at your gate? You need to repent, even of those excuses that keep you from moving towards your needy brother. You need to respond with compassion. Look around you. Is there a Lazarus in your life who needs the food from your table? Is there someone who could be blessed with the clothes from your closet? Have you been slow to bring someone into the hospitality from your home? Because Jesus says that these things aren't peripheral to the, to the gospel. Mercy ministry is actually the way that the gospel spills over from our hearts into our relationships. And so you, know, you hear me talking about using your material wealth. You say, you know, that's, Tyler, that's social gospel talk. It's not. The gospel is that Jesus Christ freed our hearts from our sin so that now we have the privilege to, move, to now act out the gospel, act out the gospel with everything that God has gifted to us. So that we hear in 1 John three seventeen, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Or listen to James 2.14. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Friends, if you are indifferent to the material needs of those around you, especially those in the body, uh, uh, the, the, the family of believers then you need to really ask yourself, has the gospel penetrated my heart? Because the way that the gospel shines through our life like a stained glass window is through the words we speak and also the way that we meet those material needs of others. And friends, we will never do that unless we recognize our own desperate need. Here's where mercy ministry begins. You look at Lazarus. You look at the poor beggar. This is where the foundation for our future diaconate ministry at this church plant starts. We look at those who are in need and we say, you know what? I'm more like you than unlike you. We are all beggars. We are all hungry, naked, full of sores. And Jesus came to us in our desperate state, in our 
sin-ridden and, and, and suffering-ridden condition, and he made us rich at his own expense. He clothed us in royal robes of purple with his righteousness. He welcomed us to his heavenly feast. Now he, he calls you, tells you to have a heart for those who are needy amongst you and so shine forth the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that we would see Lazarus at the gate, that we would see him even and especially, Lord, in the family of believers. And and may there never be a time that we would be blind to poverty in our midst. Lord, help us to be wise also. Help us to see where there is real need and, and where we could actually address that need in a way that actually might be harmful. But Lord, we just pray from this text that you would give us the heart of your Savior, a heart that moves towards Lazarus. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Now invite Mr. Spencer to come forward.